politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our freedoms to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here at Blaze Media Tuesday, March the 2nd. We got a lot on the agenda today, a very special guest, Dr. Lee Merritt, to talk to us today about the treatments for this great big virus that are being ignored in place of things that don't work. I was just thinking as I I woke up today, has there ever been anything in the history of civilization, all of humanity, that has been this destructive? All for nothing. You look up the fiscal cost, the economic cost, the human physical care cost, the mental health cost, with not only zero rate of return, the ROR, but negative return. It's like imagine you have a vi- uh, some sort of fire spreading in your garden. And all of a sudden you say, you know what? There's this really expensive and rare form of fire that could help put out the fire. And we go and raise trillions of dollars, run everywhere, and start spraying this rare form of fire, and it just burns down our house, then burns down the village, then burns down the city, all to put out a fire that, of course, you were never going to put out with that, except you were just going to kill everything else. Oh, and by the way, you had some fire extinguishers that cost pennies on the dollar, in your closet that could have put out that fire. That basically sums up what we have done to ourselves this last year. You cannot move on from this issue because they won't move on from it. I mean, even if they would basically move on from it and get rid of the mass mandates, which of course they're not, the fallout from everything they've done we'll be living with for the rest of our life. All for nothing. All for nothing. And when I say for nothing, I don't mean that there was no fire. I've said this from day one. It's not that there was no virus. See, if there were no virus, it would be a little bit less tragic. The real tragedy is the fact that we did the moon dance and we did the rain dance when there was a fire and there were fire extinguishers that could have put it out. No, it doesn't mean that nobody would have died especially a good percentage of them, this is really God's tool this year for killing them, basically at life expectancy when they were supposed to die. But I mean, for the people that did die young from it. The plethora of cheap natural treatments that we have, supplements, everyone in this country knows about masks. They know they have to be doing it, and most people think it helps them. Imagine if our government would have spent all that money, time, and effort on the prophylactics, the early treatment, everything with ivermectin and hydroxy and zinc and vitamin D3 and quercetin, you know, as prophylactics, and then, you know, as early treatment as well, mixed with some other stuff and aspirin. 
all those protocols, imagine if they would have spent a fraction of the time and money. And when I say a fraction, I mean one one trillionth. Where would we have been? Not just in terms of avoiding the panic porn and the destruction of human life and human experience and mental health and children and physical health. But in terms of COVID deaths, do you know in India, they're sending out, and they have been sending out kits worth $2.65 to every citizen, and they have an awful lot of people there, $2.65 per person. It's called the Zverto uh, uh, kit. And it has zinc, doxycycline, and ivermectin. Okay? They started with hydroxy. I think they moved to ivermectin. They feel that's better. But here we are. All this for nothing. For absolutely nothing. Isn't that sad? You have ivermectin that the WHO meta-analysis found it reduces mortality by 75%. 75%. It stops the replication of the virus. Instead, they're like, shut up, don't do anything, mask up, lock down, you're going to die, but if you do that, you won't die, but then inevitably you do get the virus, and we got some remdesivir for you to line the pockets of our cronies and then a ventilator waiting for you. And don't come to the hospital. And don't do any treatment until you can't breathe and you need oxygen. This is literally, to this minute, there are people that are getting sucked into that vortex. And all these protocols that have shown to work to make it available to people, to educate people on the dosage, what to take as a prophylactics, what to take at the first sign of, you know, being positive with, with symptoms with the virus. Very few people in this country know what to do. After all of this, truly disgusting. Zinc also is reported to show 84% decrease in hospitalization. 45% decrease in mortality among those already hospitalized. A Spanish study found that low plasma zinc levels below 50 mcg increased the risk of, of um, hospitalization by 130%. And then you have vitamin D, also a Spanish uh, RCT, a randomized uh, controlled trial found that high doses, dosage of vitamin D reduced the risk of requiring ICU care by 96%. Actually, there's actually a few Spanish studies. Another one, I think, had... Um, it was a sample of 930 hospitalized patients. Not huge, but not small. Found a reduction of um, by 80%, of 80% in ICU treatment and reduced mortality by 60%. A French study of nursing homes found that 
showed a decrease in mortality in the residents in those nursing homes that received high dosages of vitamin D. Tons upon tons of studies on hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, zinc, ivermectin, even aspirin has a strong anti-platin, anticoagulant effect. You know, because infection-related thrombosis is really what does a lot of people in when it gets to the advanced stages. So I know it definitely works early on as as part of a treatment regimen, but some say even to take it as a prophylactics. Again, you know, we're going to have a doctor on a couple moments talk about some of this. But we've done everything to turn over every stone and turn over our lives. But this, everyone should know the exact dosages, the exact protocols, but no one even knows this at all. And government does everything they can to hide, obfuscate, not make it available. In some cases, ban things like with hydroxy. Hospitals refusing to use ivermectin. And again, as Dr. Pierre Corey testified very passionately, before the Senate Homeland Security Committee with Ron Johnson, it will keep most people out of the hospital. Not everyone, but a good number of people. This is where we are. This is where we are. It is so sad. And what we're going to talk about with our guest is... How far does the rot, the gangrene in the medical establishment go back? Meaning, now that we know they're lying to us about COVID treatment, what about other virus treatments and the protocols and the entire philosophy of treating viruses? Now that we know that the desire, the twin desire for control of the government and cronyism from Big Pharma will go this far and will engage in genocide in order to achieve their goals, how long have they been doing this and for what other other things? What other medical protocols, even not for viruses? How do we even trust any of this anymore? It's truly, truly disgusting. Truly disgusting. But anyway, today's uh, interview... Dr. Lee Merritt, sponsored by Gabby Insurance. Um, Look, unlike the government that could spend trillions of dollars, you don't have an unlimited amount of money to spend. You can't afford to waste any more money on car insurance, on homeowner's insurance. Gabby, on average, will save you $961 a year. And it's totally free. It's a simple assessment. Here's what I did. I went online to Gabby, and that's G-A-B-I dot com slash Daniel. And what it does is it allows you to go shopping for insurance. Takes a couple of minutes. You put in your information, and they will compare apples to apples what you have now. And boom, it will come up in the order of the cheapest pricing, and it will show you, it will break down auto and homeowners to show you how much you save. I had a pretty good um, plan already with Geico, so I only saved about $350, $370, I think. Um, but I was shocked that I saved 
because I thought I had the best rates. And you know what? If you do, it will give you peace of mind. It doesn't hurt just to try it. They won't give you annoying spam or robocalls. They'll never sell your information. And it takes really quick. They don't give you a runaround. You will get the results uh, emailed to you. And the chances are you probably are overpaying on car and homeowner's insurance. So see how much Gabby can save you. Totally free to check. There's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash Daniel. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash Daniel. Gabby.com slash Daniel to save on car and homeowner's insurance today. Now, in introducing our next guest, I just want to hark back to what we started with and give another analogy. I know I love analogies and I've been using a lot of them today. But it kind of reminds me of the scene in the movie Longest Day about Omaha Beach when our troops climb climb the bluffs and they got up there at a great cost, were shot at, so many of them were killed. And they got up there and they found the German guns were moved and they looked at each other and said, you mean we did all that for nothing? And that's kind of the way we should all feel, how we upended our society all for a lie, for non-pharmaceutical interventions that do not work and only cause mayhem and destruction and more death at the expense of somewhat pharmaceutical interventions that are known to work that the government either shuns or downright censors. And medical news today, this came out this week. There is a study published in JAMA by researchers at VCU in Richmond and Yale School of Public Health. They found that basically a third, one in three of excess deaths from March 1st to August 1st last year, so mainly the first wave, one third of them were not caused by COVID. And indeed, they were caused by our reaction to it. It's obviously the lack of physical health that we had, um, treatments for chemotherapy, mammograms, other cancer screenings, stroke patients, heart patients. And then again, when you look at the drugs and the depression and all sorts of less tangible effects, we're going to be seeing that in the economic fallout and the deaths that result from that for years upon years to come. But what I've talked about Probably not as much on the show, and I should have done a little bit more over time, but I'm going to try to correct that with our guest, is what we could have been doing. We already know the virus is going to virus. It's going to come no matter what. There's nothing you can do to stop the virus from transmitting, and I think we've all learned that. But what can we do? What can we do? What have we not been doing? With us today is Dr. Lee Merritt. She is an orthopedic spinal surgeon in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, She's part of America's Frontline Doctors, some of those doctors that you've seen giving the other side of the story. They're suffering from censorship. She's a past president of American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, terrific group fighting in general for outside-the-box thinking, free market health care, basically outside of this government corporate system we have and it's certainly showing itself with COVID. So with us today is none other than Dr. Lee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, yeah, I saw you recently on another show, and I said, look, I got to get her on. What you are saying really 
it was kind of creepy. It was kind of creepy thinking that what is being done now is omission, but it is not a coincidence that they are omitting information. Now, what in your mind, what are the most criminal omissions that we are hearing from our government and our medical establishment about what should be done about this virus? Because we all know that everyone has to assume their body is going to be pinged by it. 35% of the country has already gotten it. We've all been sitting ducks. We've upended society for this. So we've admitted as a nation, as a government, as a body politic, as a medical community, that this is the number one priority. So you'd think we would do everything to really treat it. But in fact, what actually has been proven to work, no one, not no one, but very few people even know about it. They even know what, what to do. What is this information and how much research is behind it? Well, there's, we've, we've done everything to omit the things that would really help people survive and be well in our world today. And we have lied about those things that we, that, you know, in other words, it's, it's lying by omission and commission. We've done things that aren't true. And we, we tell you that the, uh, you know, certain drugs and certain vaccines are, are really aren't vaccines are very effective. And yet they tell you that the other things are not effective and, and they do it in a very special way. But here's a big lie. Let me just start with the big lie. That's just very simple. 1.9 million school children in 2020 in Sweden didn't miss a day of school, didn't mask, didn't social distance, and there was not one death. The teachers didn't get sick at any worse rate than anybody else. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you we have terrorized a whole generation of our children. We've put them in masks and made them possibly sick from that, not, not the least of which is horrible acne in teenagers. They don't like that. We, we've, we've made them afraid. We've damaged their psychosocial development. For what outcome? In other words, in my 40 years in medicine, I really thought we did look at the data critically, and we did try to make sense of it and do the right thing. But it's clear that that doesn't play a role here. There's an agenda to take us down using these techniques, and they don't care about the facts. That's not an anecdote, 1.9 million school children. That's a fact. That's a big fact. Now, the other thing, and so, so the, the, the other thing you can say is that if you look at Sweden and you look at England, which are roughly demographically similar, I mean, similar, I mean, size and stuff, they had exactly the same kind of death rate in their elderly and everybody else as England did. England did everything and Sweden did nothing. Again, this is not a, a, just one little anecdote. This is a lot of statistics. Now, Sweden could have done it better. I'm not saying that was the optimum solution, but that's what they chose to do in 2020. Here's the other big lie. The big lie is that we couldn't have stopped this, okay? I found literature, back into the medical literature, this is what blew my head open this last year. 40 years we've known about these so-called lysosomotropic agents. These are things like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc. There's a bunch of different things. Uh, probably a whole list, you know, doxycycline, azithromycin, we know about many of them, that go into the cell in such a way that they either stop the replication of the virus or they stop the virus getting into your genome to reproduce. So one of them is hydroxychloroquine. Now, when it first came out, I thought, oh, that's just orange man bad. They don't like it. We knew about it as doctors before all that, by the way. I was in contact with people all over the world. It had been recommended and it had been trialed and known to be effective 
in the SARS epidemic, in the in the in Korea they used it, India they used it. So people knew about this. It just didn't get to America, and you can ask yourself why. But the bottom line is is that they knew about this for 40 years and they covered it up. And it took a lot of juice to do that. It took stifling, you know, research and medical education and journal publication. So it wasn't just one little thing. It really was a collusion of keeping this information quiet. But here's the real story. If you look around the world at countries that have 78% less death rate from COVID than the United States, then it is all the countries the countries, that, the countries that don't use hydroxychloroquine early or ivermectin early had 78% uh, more death than the countries that did. Now, that was done by an open architecture international study, right? And for their, for their, for their troubles, they were threatened. They were censored. They were, they were uh, doxxed and, and they had uh, denial of service uh, attacks on their website. So there's a lot of this stuff going on that... It's purposeful. It cannot be seen as accidental. And here's what we could have done to stop this disease last year, because there were people that knew this. We could have given everybody over the age, let's say, of 18, because we know that school children now don't, get, don't die from this. Everybody on April 1st of 2020 takes, gets 24 hydroxychloroquine tablets from the U.S. government free. Cost them probably four, four bucks at that. And then four bucks. And we're talking about a one point nine trillion dollar stimulus on top of the three and a half trillion we already spent. <laughs> right. So let's just say we give them these free drugs for every man and woman over the age of school age, over the age of 18. And they say and we say, everybody take this on April 1st, two tablets a week for 12 weeks. And it's over. You know, I had this epiphany in my office the other day because this works literally as a great they can argue about treatment although it's clear that it works i do this treatment myself for people it's the only people that don't believe in it is treatment haven't done it but there's lots of data out there they're just not looking but the point is that there's even more data about prophylaxis you know ten thousand policemen in mumbai india there's just you can go on and on they that stops the disease from spreading now what they have discovered this is not able to be re this is not able to be infected they haven't found an animal uh, that they can infect this virus with, that's the middleman, you know, that came out of them to us. There's the idea of bats and pangolins and snakes and all that stuff. So once it's out of the human population, there's no reservoir for this. That's how you stop pandemics. That's how we stopped smallpox, which is much more deadly, 60% fatal, not 0. .0000 whatever fatal. So we could have stopped this with a simple drug given twice a day to our population. If that were really our goal, instead, what are we doing? We've let, you know, and I heard Dr. Zelenko say the same term. I came up with the number 250,000 people in this country needlessly died because we didn't give them the prophylaxis we know works, which is vitamin D, zinc, uh, you know, other things. You can do the selenium, vitamin C, blah, blah, blah. There's about five things that really make a difference. And two tablets of hydroxychloroquine a week. And if we'd done that just to our nursing home patients, 40% of the deaths, according to the CDC, 40% were the nursing home would have been gone, you know, or most of them would have. But instead, we're going to force people against their will a lot of times to have a vaccine that's not really a vaccine, it's a genetic therapy that's never been technically used in humans before, that failed animal testing. You know, these are the, I mean, you just have to ask yourself, what really is the motive here? Because it doesn't make sense. We know that there were treatments. And, 
when you look at the, it's it's unbelievable the falsification of the liter that's going literature that's going on. You probably knew about the Lancet and the, or you mentioned the Lancet and the, um, the uh, New England Journal of Medicine article are still being reported and quoted in the, in the in the news, and yet they they were totally discredited. Not only did they massage numbers, which happens in research sometimes, they made up the entire database. It didn't exist, and it was a company called Surgisphere that was actually manned by a science fiction writer and a former porn star or adult content model, excuse me. So, you, you know, we, we are living in a pseudo reality and we are being told a matrix, not just a single or a double lie. I used to think propaganda was, you know, a guy standing up there telling you something that isn't true, but you generally lived in a, in a, in a reality that made sense. We have been living in a matrix of made up things. And, and one of them is that we can't treat viruses. So keep in mind the implication here. It, you know, when I, I, my son's in medicine, my best. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, slow it down. Slow it down. You're, you're really, there's a lot of information you're throwing out of you. This is very, this is very important. So I want to get this clear. Um, you know, because a lot of people, they don't know how these things work to reverse the effects and the replication of the virus. And they just hear, okay, this works, that works. There's a disagreement. But you're saying that, when they're lying to us, and this is really what got to me, uh, I told you about the story of you know extended family member of mine that's that's still very sick in the hospital in New York City, and they did nothing for him prophylactic certainly, but nothing early on, and then it just shut up, don't get it, and and actually he was locked down, but still got it of course, and then oh just yeah we we don't really have anything for you but when you have trouble breathing come to the hospital and then we have some remdesivir waiting for you at three thousand dollars a pop and then a ventilator on the other side of that and there's nothing else and i said to myself look i don't know how to treat this stuff i'm not a doctor but what i do know is that the who which is you know they're you know that that is the the gold standard in their own communities in the medical community and they were very clear that remdesivir did not work there was no evidence it worked in a, a massive random randomized controlled trial and and conversely ivermectin according to a preliminary who meta-analysis they found it reduced mortality by 75 percent and the doctors there are looking at my brother and saying remdesivir works and ivermectin doesn't and that's when i said i might not know anything else but i know from the literature that is just one-sided on that debate, that it's the other way around. So I said to myself, well, what else have they been misleading us on and for how long? So you're saying this is not just about COVID, but it's an entire philosophy about how to treat viruses in general. And this is going back many years of research. So could you take it from there? Right. So I, what, what, again, blew my mind open was when I found a paper, and it was, I think it was 2004 or 2005, and it was about influenza A inhibited in vitro with chloroquine, essentially saying chloroquine, which is the precursor of, it's the older version of hydroxychloroquine, this is the, that's the updated way, it, it said we could have stopped the influenza, the flu. So when every time they tell you that 60,000 people died last year, so you better run out and get your flu vaccine, They've been telling you something. They let those people die when they had a potential treatment. Now, that's really the ugly part. I mean, that, that to me is so ugly. It, it just defies my sense of reality. Because usually, 
I thought, we cared about patient care and we wanted people to get well. And although I had little hints that maybe the pharmaceutical industry had different motives than I did, I didn't think it was this bad. I really didn't think it was this bad. Now, keep in mind, it isn't really true that 60,000 people die. 60,000 people, though, do die of a viral illness that looks like flu. They don't even count flu at the CDC. It's called ILI or influenza-like illness. But the bottom line is every year we have a flu season. Lots of people get sick and some people die from this. And if we could have treated it, why didn't we? But it's been it, every time you see somebody in the med, I followed this. I did it like a whodunit in the research in the medical literature. Every once in a while, somebody would pop up and say, hey, maybe we could repurpose these drugs because here's how they work. They would get, you never hear from them again, you know? And so this is a considered effort. And you've got to ask yourself, why would they not want, it seems to me the big overall gestalt here is that they really, really, really do not want us to know about this treatment. But they really, really, really do want you to know, to, do want you to get this vaccine. And so what, what don't they want you to know about this treatment? Well, if it treats all sorts of viruses, and by the way, they've shown that when they've used this drug for, you know, this is 70 years. It's not a new drug. Um, ivermectin, the Nobel Prize was given for ivermectin. Remdesivir, the two studies that looked at it showed no change in mortality with COVID. And now we're doing a third study, but we're still pushing it as if this is, you know, God's gift to mankind. So you're right. I mean, it does, if you, it, this doesn't make sense if you think about, if you believe that we in medicine are really trying to make the world better and save people. There's something else going on here. And I think it's one of the saddest outcomes is to hear people say, I don't want to go to the hospital. Please treat me. Don't let me go to the hospital because I think they're going to just kill me. I mean, that's, I hear that. And it's true. I had a patient say they told me to go home and stay home until my lips turned blue and then I could come back. When in medicine have we ever treated people like that? Well, I have some colleagues that are roughly on my side, but they were mainly focusing on, you know, yeah, the whole notion that this virus could be deadly was a myth. And and I disagreed. And I said, look, I think for certain people it, it, it is. I know a lot of people. We all know a lot of people. Um, you know, it's mainly people with certain conditions, but it does randomly give some people a rough time, especially if they're older. And, you know, this is something to me, if it were all made up, I would feel less bad because then it's just just the collateral damage of lockdowns and all their stuff we're doing. But what we're talking about today is not just the collateral damage, but the people dying of COVID that we could actually save. So if you could just explain real briefly how this works and why it's not just COVID, just medically. So my understanding is these things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc, that they, they stop the virus from replicating? The, that's what hydroxychloroquine does. So the, the bottom line is we've known for a long time, for example, 20 years ago, you can find literature about vitamin D. And it showed that vitamin D was, your vitamin D levels were more important to whether or not you got the flu than, than if you had the vaccine right? If you had a flu vaccine, that was a one done in, in Japan, for example. <clears throat> so we've known for a long time that vitamin D was important in, in keeping yourself well and not getting sick with viruses. But did we ever hear that from the CDC? No. I kept waiting for the CDC to drill down on who the people were that were going to the ICU and dying versus the people that just walked away from it, which are the great majority, right? Well, finally, the Indonesians did that, and they looked at 800 people in their hospital. Now, this is a bigger issue when you look at the population as a whole, but just in the hospital, who are the people going to the ICU and dying? Well, 
it turns out they were the biggest risk factor was if your vitamin D level was below 30. Okay. Now you cannot get your people don't, even if you're a farmer, even if you live in Yuma, Arizona, the sunniest city in the, in the nation, I know I used to live there. Um, you cannot get enough vitamin D from the sun to get your level up that consistently. So everybody should take a supplement. In Scotland, they give out free supplements. But in America, we have the uh, Institute of Medicine saying, oh, that's nonsense. That just makes expensive urine. You can just have 400 units a day in your multivitamin. That's fine. It won't work that way. So if you take vitamin D, you need to take big doses. I mean, I, I take 10,000 international units a day, which nobody in normal health has ever overdosed from. Okay, And my level is only 55. But I, but I can tell you, it's cheap, it's effective. Even the people I'm taking care of that get the COVID are at least not getting it terribly bad if they've, ta- if they've taken these supplements ahead of time. Now, the other thing that has been shown is that 50% of the people dead from COVID have deficient zinc. And zinc is one of those ones that I did sophisticated studies on my children years ago when they were little and could absorb everything. They were deficient in zinc. So everybody is somewhat deficient in zinc. We just don't have it in our soils, I think. So that's another one. Cheap and easy to take. Everybody should be on those. Uh, vitamin C, taken multiple times a day. That's your ammunition for your white cells. Take that. And then uh, either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, their prophylaxis programs worked out that are very well publicized. People can find these. Doctors can find these. If they go on the aapsonline.org website, you can find a DIY uh, COVID treatment, you know, for people. The sad point is, is that not only in medicine and in science in general, censorship is not how we proceed. We proceed by, by you put your idea out, I put my idea out, and we see what works in patient care and in, 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 in testing and in reproducibility. And we're not doing that. We're censoring everybody that doesn't tell you what the orthodox medical hierarchy is saying. And that is nothing works except maybe remdesivir. That's not the way to look at this. And doctors at one point, some point are, are culpable of willful negligence and pharma- pharmacies and pharmaceutical people that are purposely doing this. And, and I think it's also, you know, it's interesting that we, we stand as a civilization at a crossroads. Never have people cared so much about their health. I mean, people will literally... Um, you know, turn over every stone. They they will they will do anything, no matter how draconian it is, to avoid getting this virus, or in their mind, avoid getting it. They won't see their grandkids for the rest of their lives. They'll wear a mask for the rest of their lives. They'll they'll remain uh, secluded and isolated. So you would think you would look for every last thing and and you would think that you know zinc and vitamin d would be the new toilet paper you know it would just fly off the shelves and 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 obviously you know government should fund that if they're funding everything else this would cost a a a trillionth of the cost and yet even to this day if you press them i remember fauci was like yeah you know i kind of take supplements it's it's okay not not a bad idea um but but we'll never push it so why do you think well, let me say this. What do you think is the motivation behind that? Well, I guess that depends on your worldview. I mean, regardless of you can go up the up, up the, the steps of the pyramid to the top and we can argue who that is. But the first step for sure are the pharmaceutical industries. If you look at what happened in H1N1, OK, in the, the swine flu that was supposed to be a pandemic, but wasn't. What happened? 
in Europe, the European medical um, establishment changed the definition of, the, of, of what a pandemic is. It became the worldwide definition. No longer deadly, just worldwide is the definition, essentially. So anything that's a common cold could be considered a pandemic. But they got everybody scared about H1N1. It got the, the uh, governments to, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical company said, well, we've got to do something about this. They, they got government money from all over the world to produce vaccines, which the government bought, and antivirals, which the governments bought, and, and store, store piles, right? And then what happened is not only did the disease just fizzle out, it didn't go worldwide like they, I suspect, wanted it to. But when they looked at it, they had given this vaccine to 700 uh, or to many children in Europe. And it turned out that they developed this horrible narcolepsy and are crippled for life. They're, you know, narcolepsy is where you can't stay awake, essentially. It was a neurologic hit, which is one of the things we see in vaccine injury is neurologic problems. So what happened is not only did the governments pay billions of dollars to the vaccine industries, then they had to pay again for the destruction of these stockpiles of dangerous things. And we've seen that over and over. Look at, look at what they're going to, they're, they, they claim that they're doing some of this. I just read an article about this. They claim that this is out of the goodness of their heart, they're going to make it available to third world countries without profit, but they're going to make billions on this. So make no mistake, there's a certain profit, there's a certain motive profit there. But I would say, honestly, the, other, the next level of, of motive is you cannot terrify a population with, uh, manufactured or upregulated lab manipulated viruses if we all have a treat in our back pocket. And I would point out that if you want to go the worst place for mortality of COVID, it was New York State. From January to August, the mortality overall per capita, taking their numbers, believing their numbers, was 0.17%. But in Uganda, it was 0. 0.000. 3%. No, sorry, left out of zero. Point zero 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 three percent In other words, you were 10,000 times safer in Uganda, and it's true in Nigeria or Senegal, than you were in New York. And I talked to patients of mine from Africa, from Senegal and Nigeria, and they said to me, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine have been used by our families for years, for decades, and they're over the counter in those countries. That's really, I mean, why, you have to ask yourself, really, are we a free country when we have to beg for the drugs that we want to be able to try, even if you don't agree with me? Let me try them. What happened to that right to try? But you, you cannot avoid the drugs you don't want to take. You know, you're forced to take them. And, 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 and exactly. You, you, can, you can't avoid it. And, and this is what we were going through where, again, my, my brother's father-in-law uh, they just give him remdesivir, and I guess they are giving steroids, you know, at this late stage. And they went on for over a week, still refusing to give ivermectin, which seems to at least have some evidence behind even late stage use. It's always better earlier. Um, but no, they they think it's crazy. One of them called it an animal medicine. Um, they just they just don't get it. Well, it's it, it, well they do get it, and that's that's basically they're. Some people are dupes, okay? In every, it only took 3% of um, the Bolsheviks, there were only 3% that took over the, Russia. 
So it's a small minority of people can have a lot of damaging effects if they're passionate and they convince other people to be, as, you, as Lenin said, they're useful idiots. So there are people that simply won't look at the data. They're going to just do what their bosses say and they're, they're so enamored of people like Fauci. They just go ahead. These are physicians. I'm speaking about physicians and nurses and people in the medical profession who just go along because they're so convinced in the right of authority. They're assuming uh, truth comes from authority rather than authority coming from truth. That's the, that's the problem in our society. So, so these people are, are willing to go along with this. But there's a group of doctors that know better. They know that they, it, it doesn't take much now. It, at first, it might have been a little, you had to take time to search. But now you don't. It's all over the place. You can read the studies. You can look at the overwhelming number of studies that show ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine work. You could listen to Dr. Corey's Senate um, or congressional hearing. I, I will just say that in medicine, the way it works is it doesn't, it's not a vote. Science is not a consensus. It's not a bunch of people voting. It's one guy figuring it out, like Joseph Lister figuring out carbolic acid decreased death from infections at surgery. I mean, it's one guy usually that figured this out. This in turn, this was a few guys, but they, but they spoke about it. They showed their own numbers. It worked in their practices. And, and Dr. Corey is not a small, lightweight little person in the middle of nowhere. He is a, um, you know, a big ICU doctor who teaches other ICU doctors. And he's talking at Congress how ivermectin works. How can doctors ignore that, at least looking into it? And yes, it's, it, just like they denigrated anybody that asked for safety and transparency of vaccines as anti-vaxxers, it's really easy to denigrate ivermectin as, oh, that's an animal thing, because they use it in horses and cattle. And to be honest, thankfully, a lot of people that might have gotten sick were able to get the horse medicine and dose themselves. Isn't that a pathetic world that we're in? That's sad, but that's what they're doing. Because that's the problem. A lot of people are emailing me. They don't know what to do. I mean, this is the problem. Some of this stuff isn't available to get ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. And people don't know what to do. Let's say they, they are positive and, you know, they're starting to feel some symptoms. Um, so I, and I know you're not, you know, you're not giving official medical advice here, but what would you say people do? We talked about prophylactics. Let's say someone's starting to get the onset of, of, of symptoms, you know, what about quercetin, aspirin, some of this other stuff? What, what, what type of protocol should people look at? Well, in general, hydroxychloroquine, and I've seen this in my patients and other people report this, this is the big thing. All of this works the best if it's taken early. The people that are at risk, the high-risk people, and I agree with you, this is not the flu. It's different than the flu. It's been kind of manufactured to be specifically targeted to a, an ACE pathway in our, ACE2 pathway in our body that is in, your, is in fat cells, it's in your heart, your lungs, your brain, it's everywhere, whereas coronavirus only it gets into the nose. But so what we know is that we can, everybody should be taking big dose vitamin D. They should be taking zinc, at least 30 milligrams a day. Take some vitamin C throughout the day. It's healthy and good for lots of things. Quercetin, um, the outpatient protocol put out by Dr. Dr. McCullough, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's the chief of I think, cardiology at Baylor and, and one of the most published physicians in the world who got censored by YouTube, I believe, for trying to put this out, which is saying he spread medical disinformation. Now, what does that tell you? The most, one of the most published physicians in the world, and he's spreading medical disinformation, but you guys at YouTube know better. Well, you know, it's, it's nonsense, but they, but he says quercetin and I think it's 500 a day. Um, I might be wrong. It might be 500 twice a day. If you're sick, I would take 500 twice a day, but for prophylaxis, probably 500 a day is okay. And yeah, so zinc, did I say zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. Now the other one that most people don't talk about, but which I use in our protocol 
is N-acetylcysteine because it makes, it, it antioxidizes the body very thick. It's, very, it's a good drug and it's cheap. Again, um, these things are not expensive to take. Now, the ultimate would be within five days, you'd like to be treated. And if you can't get a doctor to treat you, this is the why you should have some of this stuff at home. It would be nice. And um, I know people, and I haven't done this myself, but I know people who have gotten it from Mexico uh, online. It's produced by the same people. I mean, you know, it's packaged. I, I lived on the Mexican border. People used to go down there all the time and get drugs. I never saw a problem with that. I'm not suggesting that that's always safe, but no drug is always safe all the time. In this situation, it's sometimes that or nothing. So I would, I would personally like to have that in my back pocket. Now, um, ivermectin, they can, you know, it is, it is true. It's in the animal stores. I would, I would talk to a doctor and see if anybody's interested in, in giving you some prophylaxis, but the problem with it is they've threatened our licenses if we do that, which is why I'm willing to treat, but I'm not willing to prophylax people at this point officially. Now, AFLDS, the American Frontline Doctors, um, AFLDS.org, I'm sorry, yeah, .org, they have on their website, they have a thing you can go to and you can talk to a doctor by telemedicine and a specific pharmacy could dispense some hydroxychloroquine. That's not a bad idea. Um, and I guess the other thought I had is, yes, it, 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 it stands for American Frontline Doctors, but it's AFLDS. This is of vital importance. I mean, this is, it, it, it's shocking that most people don't even know where to go after 10 months of the most discussed, researched, regulated, legislated thing that has ever happened in the history of humanity, and we've done everything except for the cheap, basic things that work. And and I'm just curious if medically I'm on to the right theme here. Um, so again, I, you know, when I was a kid, I always learned, okay, uh, if it's a bacteria, you could treat it. If it's a virus, you can't. And then what I found interesting is um, I think, I mean, when I was a young kid, I they didn't have this out, but I remember later on in life, the first time hearing it on Rush's show, Rush used to advertise, um, for Zycam. And I thought it was kind of a joke. Like, how do you, you know, avoid a cold or short circuit a cold? But I started taking it because I was very sensitive to this. I do a lot of broadcast and I couldn't afford the sore throats and losing my voice. So I realized, I was like, oh no, not another cold. And then I started having young kids and they would always pass around these colds. And I really saw it worked. So is that kind of part of the same philosophy? Well, there's a couple things. One is, so the way hydroxychloroquine works is it actually, it, is, it, it makes the, the virus, to be technical, the virus gets in through what's called a lysosome. It's a little intracellular like sac in the cell, right? And I tell people, this is like in Canada when the fish couldn't live in the lakes because of the acid rain. They couldn't live in the acidic environment. Hydroxychloroquine acidifies the lysosome. It makes it acid. So the virus can get in, but it doesn't go anywhere. It can't reproduce because it can't live in that acid environment. That's how hydroxychloroquine works. So it stops the production of the virus, stops reproduction. So that's why it needs to be given early. The problem is, you know, in medicine, and I've seen this a lot, if you want to disprove something, set up the, the study to disprove it. And so what they've done is they've picked and chosen giving hydroxychloroquine in, in wrong doses too late in the course of the disease and said, aha, it doesn't work, you know? And so what it has to be done, it doesn't, it doesn't solve the lung and heart damage that's once been done. You have to give it before that in the first five days. 
Um, ivermectin works a little differently, as I understand it, because it actually, once the, once the virus starts reproducing a little bit in the lysosome, its next step is to move into your genetic machinery. What viruses do generally is take, an, take over your, your genetic machinery to then insert themselves and use your reproductive strategy to reproduce the virus. And then it makes more cells, kills that cell, moves on, etc. And that's, that's how it becomes uh, deadly. And so ivermectin stops that second phase. It stops, the, it stops them from being able to get into your genetic material and into your, into your uh, power plant to reproduce. Well, so technically used both of them at the same time, you're, you're stopping. It's like if I want to stop a, a production pathway, stop it at two points, you're more effective than stopping it at one point. But you don't need to if you're doing it early on. Hydroxychloroquine by itself will do it early on. But as it gets later in the game, you need the ivermectin. It works better. And that's what, see, Dr. Corey, you know, whereas I'm treating people as an outpatient, Dr. Corey is treating people in the ICU. And ivermectin is much better probably at that stage. And that's what he was talking about at the, at the congressional hearings. So, you know, there's all that. I will tell you, there's other things on the, the other things that, that the um, naturopaths have known for years. Elderberry, elderberry juice is a huge um, benefit in preventing viral disease. And the other one uh, that's just being talked about, but I don't have any really hard data, is uh, nigella. It's called black cumin seeds. You get it in an Indian restaurant, and they, they're saying it acts like hydroxychloroquine in a way to stop the uh, acidification of light or to acidify the lysosome. So, and that's what zinc does. So zinc gets in and somehow kills the virus by it's, it's, it gets into the lysosome too. And that's why you need zinc to make hydroxychloroquine work. It doesn't work. If you don't have that's if you're deficient in zinc, no matter what you do, you can still go down. And again, that's why I'm finding people that took their supplements, even if they got sick, they're easy to treat. And also, isn't it true that a lot of viruses they ultimately spawn super infections, which is what's doing a lot of people in in the ICUs? So shouldn't they ask early on for azithromycin? Sure, and that's that's part. Of, when you're getting treated by a physician, that is the official. They, you know, the, the outpatient program that Dr. McCullough put together and Dr. Zelenko and Didier Raoul and these people um, are, is a combination of, you know, either hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or both. And then uh, the supplements we talked about and azithromycin. And if you're allergic to azithromycin, you use doxycycline. So there's, that, there's a certain protocol and that's what you do. And, and I, I know my friend Brian Tyson down in El Centro, California, he runs an urgent care. At one point, um, he, I remember his numbers at the end. At, this was like October of 2020. He said he had screened 20,000 people. He had had no death and only one small hospitalization. He treated like 1,900. Now he's over having treated 4,000. He's had, I think, one death and maybe four hospitalizations. But that's so much better than in New York. It's so much better in the cities where we've got our medical hierarchy in charge. Now, in all fairness, when you work in the ICU, you see a different picture than when you are in an outpatient setting. So some of the fear that's generated is because they're seeing different people go down with this. It's not just about age. In general, people that die in the flu season, they tend to be older, debilitated people. You can almost pick them out. But it's, this, this actually can take out some 50 and 45-year-olds that have certain risk factors. And I, my observation, which this I can't prove that we have enough data to really say, but I can tell you everybody I know has said this, type A blood type for some reason is overrepresented. 
in my surgical practice, if I ask people their blood type overwhelmingly, they, they tell me type O positive. In this population, overwhelmingly, if they know their type, it's A, which, which is kind of because, see, I'm what people coming to me are people that are selected out who are already sick so, and that need help. They're not the people that got sick and got well and didn't need help. The other thing is obesity is a huge problem here. So what, the other thing you can do for yourself is be in the best shape you can. We want to take care of your immune system. Get the fat off. Um, get down on the carbs. Probably eliminate wheat, which is a terrible inflammatory food. And, and be healthy. That, that, you can't beat that. But you also have to take the supplements. The, even healthy-looking people can go down if they don't have enough D and zinc on board. And then the other thing people should know is that one of the reasons we get sick in the wintertime, and this was studied by Jeffrey Shaman, has an excellent, very technically, but perfectly clear paper about this. The biggest reason that viruses go around in the winter and you can predict the outcome of, or the outbreak of the flu season has to do with absolute humidity. When the humidity is low, these things float around all the time in the air. This whole mass nonsense is simply nonsense. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a subservience sign. It's a, it may be a cult symbol, but it has nothing to do with the medical uh, contagion in viruses like this. So these things are floating around in the air all the time. But if you if humidify your house, then they drop out of the air airflow and they're less infectious. Same thing, and that's why in summer things go away partly is because we're outside, we're not cooped up, you should air out your house. Don't let it get stuffy air, a HEPA filter, and humidification. We know that there are, there are environmental mitigations that do work. Just masks and, and disinfection and hand washing aren't one of them. Not to say hand washing doesn't work for other reasons. You know, you go to the bathroom, you eat your food, you cook food, you wash your hands, no problem. But we're doing that for bacteria. We're not doing it for airborne viruses. You know, and, and anybody, I just have to make this point. Yeah, before I, because I'll probably run out of time, I just have to make this point. Anybody that even believes in, vi- in, in, in masks needs to take, step back and take a look at what the reality of it is. We're told we have to wear a mask to get into a restaurant. So for the first six feet, you're dangerous unless you have a mask on. But then you can take it, de- take it off the minute you sit at your table. You can put your dirty cloth mask, which, by the way, I've never seen until this outbreak. Cloth masks are something of the 1800s and early 1900s. They're horrible, and they make you more sick than if you had no mask. Don't wear, if you're going to wear one, wear those worthless paper masks. But you have this cloth mask that's now all contaminated because you've had your nose on it, your hands on it, everything. You're putting it on your eating table. You're putting your cell phone on it, right? And then you're going, and you're safe. But you're safe then. You can eat your food and pass things around to your friends, and that's okay. But the minute you stand up to go to the bathroom, you have to put your mask on so you can walk by a whole room of people without wearing, that aren't wearing their mask. That is not contagion control. That is a psyop. It doesn't, it's insane. That is insane. And it's not without consequence. But, but come on, really, I asked a psychiatrist friend of mine, I said, you've got to tell me. Who are these people wearing a mask alone in the car? <laughs> so, and, no, and actually what he told me was those are Stockholm Syndrome people. That had, that's, they're so anxious about this that they'll do everything and then they'll anticipate what their captors' needs are. So they're washing their hands 100 times a day. But, but then they won't do this stuff. But that's the thing. You know, I, I could respect them more if they did the mask – you know, but then they did. But what we're talking about, the natural supplements, and maybe there's some of them, but it's it's almost if it's not in the sewer pipeline from the corporate media government establishment, it doesn't exist. And 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 again, I know you got to run, but I think the haunting question, if you want to comment on this before you 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 got to leave, what else 
is being done for political or corporate reasons. Meaning if someone like me that doesn't have a medical background goes in because I have a relative that has heart or cancer or dementia, I mean, is there the same equivalent playbook of remdesivir where there's things that the evidence shows works better, but because of political reasons, they're choosing other things? How far does this go? Well, there are a couple of things I would tell people that they can research, they can read on their own that they would understand. And one of them is just look at the controversies. And I know that one of the things we get pinged for in AAPS is putting out papers of different sides of the argument. But that's what science should be about. Just read up about the, uh, the issues of statin drugs and your brain. And statin drugs are theoretically to help you not get a heart attack. But you, there's a 17-country study that showed that they don't work to decrease mortality. But, but nonetheless, they're being foisted on us, and they're being pushed, and doctors are being told if you don't get a certain number, if you don't keep your people's cholesterol down to a certain level using these drugs, you don't get paid as much. It's a whole corporate push for these drugs. Another one I would look up is I'd look at the book about cancer. I would look at the book Tripping Over the Truth. It's about uh, 3-bromopyruvate. 3-bromopyruvate probably costs pennies. It's over the counter, and it has the potential, it looks like, to treat all cancers. You know, and this goes back to, I mean, the, the real history of medicine, I, you can also look up and understand more about this, which I'm just starting to really study, is when this all thing happened, I've become aware of it is how the Rockefeller Foundation, really, Standard Oil has become Standard Pharma. And it's, it's, a, it's a history that people don't understand. And, you know, I heard a doctor say that there's, in regards to, like, the, this genetic therapy that we're being sold as a vaccine, that, that she said something like uh, that there are so many lemmings running for the cliff, you, we can't even stop them now. You just have to get out of the way so you don't get trampled and then hope to rebuild. And... Uh, I think, unfortunately, we have been living in, a, in, an, in, an, in an environment where we have been slowly conditioned to believe the, the protocol about vaccines, the, the, the mandates are good. We've been slowly led down this path with really kind of a false worldview about disease and health and vaccination. And there is a very uh, excellent text by a PhD, I think her name is uh, Schreibner. Vieira Schreiber or something like that. And it's, it's a $60 book. It's, not, it's kind of hard to get these days, but it's 100 years of vaccine research. And it talks about what's really going on, which they taught us, by the way, in 1976 in medical school, but they're not teaching now. So I would say when we look at this, these things, you know, and I'm just, people are running to this vaccine. They don't know what's in it. Even their doctor doesn't know what's in it. I can tell you, it's impossible to know exactly what's in it. I've looked at all this. The, the, I'm talking about the, the, the mRNA technology, the, the AstraZeneca, Moderna, and Pfizer. Um, you can't know what's in it for sure. You don't know how it works. I mean, the, I do, but, but the, they don't know how it's supposed to work. They don't know the sad story that the animals all died in the animal testings, and it never made it through animal testing, but now they're testing it on you. They don't know that there's only been three or four months now of follow-up and that, that people are getting uh, high rates of anaphylaxis, that the death from this vaccine or the death from this genetic agent now is 71% in the VAERS data of all vaccine stuff, of all vaccine deaths being reported, this accounts for 71%. It's only been out for a few months, right? So we're seeing, I mean, we are being asked to take something that is completely experimental, has never been used before in humans, has, has, Elements of it, like polyethylene glycol, that's never been before in humans, which is highly allergic. And 
people are rushing to it. You've got to say, how did we get there? We got there through a, soul, a programming over many years to convince us that Big Pharma knows better and we should just take this stuff for our health. This is how you become healthy. You don't do good nutrition and supplements and fresh air and sunshine and all the things that our ancestors maintained their health with. That's never talked about. It's never taught in medical school. I mean, it really is a, it really is a, a matrix an information matrix that's been skewed from reality. We are living in a pseudo reality. Wow, that that is a lot, um, a lot to consume. And I think the vaccine part. I want to have you back for a part two. I know we're a little bit over time, but thank you for your presentation today. Um, there is a lot to consider. Where, where could people find more of your work, or you know, some of your presentations and information? Well, I'm, I, it's still a work in progress, but I have a website. Um, it's doctor, spelled out, drleemerritt.com. And, um, you know, I have, and I can, you can see what supplements we recommend. We have a little handout you can download that talks about, and this was even before the COVID started, the nine supplements we thought everybody should, should take. Um, I, it was seven I added to for COVID and that's, that's basically, and I'm going, I have a rumble channel that's getting set up, but not there yet. Perfect. Well, I can't wait for that to come out and folks, we are way out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Merritt. Um, tomorrow. Yes. And, and, and by the way, I just want to say, um, there's a lot more where this came from. I think you could tell. So again, we're going to have you back again. God bless you for what you do folks till tomorrow. Thank you very much. And God bless you all. 